this morning. I, uh, I don't know how to say this. I'm just kind of fired up this morning about how good God is and how good it is that we can come and worship him today and just uh, that he counts us worthy to, to be vessels of worship for him. You know, he made us out of dirt and he made us out of dirt to worship him and he made every thread in our bodies part of part of a plan for us to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And I hope you'll just revel in that today and uh, just be part of our worship today and think about that as we go into the service. Uh, there's no business meeting after this, so you're freed from that obligation. We'll skip it till uh, next uh, next Sunday and um, have our business meeting talking about our budget for the year and things like that. So it's important to, to stay for that, but not today. Uh, <clears throat> we also are getting ready for... Uh, Getting ready for our mission trips, and uh, I'll, I, I guess I'll come talk about that a little later. Um, lastly, the, the baby bottle boomerang. Um, if you guys out in the foyer out there, so these uh, these baby bottles that we're just asking people to take one home, and uh, uh, it's for True Care, which is our our crisis pregnancy center here in Casper, and it's a pretty powerful ministry that uh, just helps these women that find themselves in in a time of need where they feel like they can't have a baby and they have to have an abortion, and uh, oftentimes they end up searching on the internet, and they find our crisis pregnancy center, and they come there probably scared and worried, um, not knowing what to expect, and what they find there is, is just incredible love. Uh, people just just love them and walk them through this process and kind of help them see that it's it's actually possible to carry their baby uh, or send it out for adoption. It, it, but typically, typically these women find that they can do it, that God made them to do it. And uh, we get to share Christ with them and walk with them for sometimes months and years after that. And it's a powerful, powerful ministry. About 300 women a year uh, come through those doors and the vast majority of them carry their carry their baby to term and, and, and find the joy and relief in that. And there are some that don't, some that go on and they, they go to Colorado and have an abortion. And uh, when they come back, feeling guilty and angry and broken, they, they find that true care is still open to them and willing to just love them and walk with them and try to help them heal from that, that decision as well. So we don't reject any of those, those blessed women. So grab a, a baby bottle out there and uh, use it as a, something to put on your counter and pray. Uh, fill it up with uh, change and uh, some checks and $100 bills and stuff. And then uh, bring it back on President's Day and uh, we can send it to that ministry. So let's stand up and worship the Lord this morning. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that you made us to worship you because we can feel it inside us, Lord. We can feel it in our spirits. We can feel it in our bones, Lord, that we are here to worship you and glorify your great name for all that you've done for us, mainly, Lord, that you died on the cross for us so that we could come and worship you again for all eternity in heaven. So, Lord, help us worship you. Help us lay down our thoughts and our burdens and our cares and confess our sins even now, Lord, so that we're unencumbered and free to worship you and hear your word and obey your voice today. Amen. Let's begin this morning by singing about the great mercy of our Lord, how he's shown it to us. Start on verse 1. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient all-knowing, he counts not their song. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. 
waves would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. of kindness he lavished on us his blood was the payment his life was the cost we stood neath the debt we could never afford our sins are many his mercy is more praise the one another this morning.
weary and sick with sin and on his shoulders brought me back to his fall again while angels in his presence until the courts of morning. Morning again. I just want to 
Talk about the mission trips that are coming up. The summer mission trips this year were, the, the first one is July 8th through the 15th, and we're going to go to Portugal. We're going to go there and help uh, Mario and Lancy. Uh, Lancy is Rick and Starla's daughter, and they're missionaries in Portugal. And we're going to help them put on a team camp. And so a lot of what we'll be doing during that time as a, as a mission team will be just serving them while they put on this team camp and, uh, you know, doing dishes and just doing all the, all the, the background stuff to try to help them do this. And we'll, we'll obviously be uh, uh, sharing Christ and sharing our testimonies and, and teaching or doing whatever they ask us to do, but it'll be a really great trip. So that's July 8th through the 15th. And uh, you need to need to commit to that by this next Sunday. So if you're, if you're wanting to go on that trip, you need to come to the missions meeting at 4 o'clock, and you need to bring uh, $200 with you and uh, just make that commitment, and we'll, we'll begin working on the, the tickets from there. And then this, the second mission trip will be going to Zambia in Africa, and we're going to go on August 4th through the 18th. We're going to go to the orphanage there, Faith Children's Orphanage. It's a, it's a really great little orphanage way out in the bush. And uh, there's a bunch of kids and babies, and it's just that, that'll, that'll be a great time to just go out there. And you kind of just spend a lot of time there with those kids, and you get a lot of ch- opportunity to, to minister to them and encourage them and spend time with them. But uh, we'll be doing, we'll be putting on a VBS and uh, doing some village ministries. Then we, we'll go out into the bush and do some evangelism. You know, you're talking like a little trail that goes out through the tall grasses and through little cornfields, and there's, there's huts, and you just get to sit down. Down on the on the ground with these people and uh, share Christ with them, and it's pretty pretty awesome. Pretty awesome bunch of people out there. They're they're really they love you and they're they're happy to be there. Happy that you're there. Happy to see you. Happy to hear what you have to say. And it's a uh, that's a blessed thing. Um, I think in Portugal it'll be uh, it'll be the the same the same greatness. We'll be able to go and be a part of the, the church that's there. And these people in Portugal they they love the Lord and they love to have us come and they love the encouragement and they love to love to spend time with us. And I, th- I think as a church, we really need to, to realize that uh, missions is, is about the great commission that you'll, you'll preach the gospel here in Casper and in Wyoming and the United States into the uttermost parts of the earth. And we as a church need to realize that, that we have a, a Anytime that we're doing the Great Commission, man, God's all about it. And he's always calling us to go out and do these things. So pray hard about that. You guys have a week to pray about that. And I know that it's a, there's a lot of obstacles in our minds, but they're only in our minds. There should be no obstacle in our heart. Uh, it's the Great Commission, and God wants us to be sharing the gospel across the world. And if you go, it'll blow your mind. If you go, if, if God calls you to go and you take that step of faith and you do what it takes, it will change you. It'll change you radically. I'll never forget my first trip uh, overseas to, to do that in Botswana in 2004. I went over there, and it just rocked my world. And I, I've never been the same. And I've been there many, many times uh, overseas, many times. And every single time I go, it rocks my world. God works in my heart, and he works in my life, and he alters me into a, a better disciple of his. And I'm going to go on one or maybe both of these trips this year, and guess what? It's going to rock my world, and I'm going to come back a changed man, and it's going to be good. So, man, join us with it. Uh, pray hard this week about if you're supposed to go, and be willing to take that step of faith if you are, and uh, just, just know that this is who we're supposed to be. Um, let's uh, stand, or let's uh, have the men come forward and uh, take the offering. Let me pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, for giving us your church the opportunity, Father, to, to serve, Lord, you 
with the gospel. Lord, you decided, Lord, when you died on the cross and you rose from the dead, you decided you were going to go back to heaven, Lord, and that we were going to be the ones that were going to be your hands and feet, Lord. And you, you said, I'm going to give you the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he'll, he'll allow you the ability to do anything I want you to do. There's nothing that will be impossible for you. So you've told us, Lord, to spread your gospel across this earth, Lord. And I pray that we would do it, that we'd be willing, Lord, to lay down all the fears, legitimate fears, legitimate concerns, Lord, legitimate because we're physical and because we're human, Lord. But there's nothing legitimate, Lord, about us not being able to trust you to do what you want through us, God. So I pray that we'll do it, that we'll go on these mission trips and we'll serve faithfully, Lord, and the ones that are supposed to go will go, and the ones that are supposed to give will give to help those go, and the ones that are supposed to pray will pray like crazy, Lord, to support your work in these two countries. I pray we'll do it. Amen. When the sun comes up, satisfies, for the day has passed us by, for our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with
was a really convicting message for me out of Matthew 19. Let's read a couple verses that just stuck on me, stuck in me all week. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property and Pastor Mike pointed out, it was amazing how he he knew, even though he'd followed all the rules before that, that he was still lacking. And then Jesus said, you got to follow me. you got to put all the stuff aside. And in earlier passages, he says, he called out, you know, you cannot serve God and mammon. And as this man, he says he went away sorrowing because he owned much stuff. And I thought, you know, really, the stuff kind of owned him. Stuff had him by by the throat and wouldn't let him go and follow Jesus and go and pursue this eternal life that he wanted. And so... Um, just a prayer for our church that man, we would not let the stuff own us, that we would not let the stuff that we have in our lives grab us and keep us from, as my brother Aaron pointed out, following God wherever he would call us, following Jesus and, and the joy that comes with that. So let's sing this prayer this morning. When 
when castles crumble and breath is fleeting upon this rock I will stand upon this rock I will stand glory glory we have no other king but Jesus Lord to get in the way of us as a church. You've said, come to me. You said to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Called us to drop the sin, to drop the baggage so that we can do only following you. So Lord, help us in that. We swim in a world full of stuff. We swim in this society that constantly bombards us with the message that stuff matters or things matter. Your word tells us that's a lie. Help us to believe your word. Help us as we pray this prayer. Make it true in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this prayer. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart. is better make my heart believe than any comfort Jesus is better make my heart believe more than all riches Jesus is better Better make my heart believe. 
Amen. We, uh, we are having super church this morning, so if you guys, third grade and under, want to go, go ahead and go to that, that'd be awesome. And how awesome is it just to crown him Lord of Lords and King of Kings? He is. So thankful for that. You know, that's why we worship. That's why we gather together here. That's why those that are gathered online with us this morning are gathered, and we can worship together because he's Lord of Lords and he's King of Kings. And he is worthy of our praise. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn over to Matthew chapter 19 with me. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 30. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, really, Isaiah kind of mentioned it, you know, having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ is, it's almost always more selfless and more worshipful than we thought it would be. And many times more selfless and more worshipful than we want it to be. I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, over the years I've heard people say all kinds of things, but, you know, I've heard people say, I think God loves me just the way I am, and if he's demanding that I change, I don't want him. You ever heard somebody say that? I think God will love me just the way I am. And if he won't love me just the way I am, I don't want him. And what they're really saying is, I'm living in a sin that I won't admit that I'm living in. And when you tell me that I need to turn from my sin, I don't want to. Right? Because to follow Jesus requires repentance. You're walking away from God, and then you have to repent to walk toward God. And some people say, well, God ought to love me just the way I am. But that's not the way it works in scriptures. It's not the way God works in our lives. He's God. We're not. Other people sometimes say, I want to have eternal life, but I don't want to follow Jesus. I don't want to give anything to Jesus. I don't want to obey Jesus in order to follow him. But that's not the way that works either. We saw this last week. Right When we looked at this rich young man, you know, he comes to Jesus with this great question, what must I do to obtain eternal life? That's a great question. I mean, of all the things that you ought to be asking, God, what does it take for me to have 
eternal life? Great question. And Jesus works with this kid. He says to him, man, here's some commandments. Keep those. He says, I've done that, but what am I still lacking? Now, honestly, we know that he hadn't kept those commandments. Nobody does. But he thought he did. Thought he was a good guy. So he still understands he's lacking something, right? So Jesus says, go sell all your possessions. And the main part is, come follow me. Because what he's saying is, you've got to give up the things that you value, even the most precious things to you, to make me most valuable, right? Christ has to be most valuable. That's the way this works with God. That's what salvation really is, saying that God is most valuable. And honestly, let's, let's just never forget this truth that's, that's It has to be if God is God, right? If God is God, then he is most valuable. And if God is God, then we come to salvation on his terms, not on ours. I talk to a lot of people, I talk to a lot of people who basically say, if God isn't going to respond to me on my terms, I don't really want him. Well, okay, because you won't get him. Can't have him. We have to come to God on his terms, right? That's the way this works. He's God. We are created by him. We are to worship him. He's, he deserves it. He demands it. He expects it. And so we have to be pretty careful sometimes about how we approach God. And this morning we're going to find ourselves looking at this passage that deals with the apostles' response to how Jesus dealt with this young man, right? So we're going to see how the apostles saw this, and we're going we're to be able to kind of contrast some things between what God says to us that will follow him and to what God said to the young man last week. So let's look at chapter, 20, or chapter 19 of Matthew. We'll begin in verse 27. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you, What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, Lord, we are a, we're a proud people. We're an arrogant people. We are a people who want to deal with you from our side, telling you what we want, telling you what we demand, <clears throat> sharing with you, our expectations of you, when simply put, Lord God, we're not qualified for that. And please forgive us of that. Lord, I pray that we would see you as you are. You are God and you're the only one. You are holy and righteous. Righteous. 
You're all powerful, Lord God. You know all things. You are in control of all things. And Lord, even though we have fallen short, even though we have sinned against you, even though we have sinned many, many times against others, you and the depth of your love and your grace have made a way for us to have eternal life. And that's through your son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself the only qualified sacrifice for the sins of the world, paid our debt for us, who suffered the punishment we were due, and then rose from the dead on the third day so that we, through faith in you, could have life. But Lord, that's the only way. That's the only way. And I pray that, Lord, you'd humble us to the place where we would be thankful for that, where we would worship you for that, and where we would follow you. Lord, please speak to us, we pray this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this, like I said, kind of sweet response, right? Then Peter said to him, behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? I think it's a pretty fair question, actually. You know, here we have Peter and the apostles. They're with Jesus, listening to Jesus, seeing how he interacts with this rich young man who's come to him and is asking the right question. And and yet they hear Jesus say to him, go sell all that you possess and you'll have riches in heaven and then come follow me. And, And they're thinking, you know, all right, so God is kind of, promise this young man that if he'll get rid of his things, he'll have rewards in heaven, riches in heaven. And, and obviously these words kind of stand out to Peter and Peter speaks for all the apostles because he says for us. And, and basically they just really wanted to know, hey, we've done this. We have followed you. We've given up things for you. You know, we've left, Peter had a wife. Peter had a house Back in Capernaum, there's no doubt about it, right? He taught in the synagogue. First time he went to Capernaum, when he was done, he left the synagogue and went to to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick on the bed. Jesus healed her, right? And she served him. We know he's got a family, but he's out serving Jesus, out following Jesus. And the other apostles are following him. You know, he's walking along the seashore and he calls Peter and Andrew to follow him initially. He calls James and John to follow him initially. And these guys are following him. And it's getting more and more intense. We've talked about that. They're getting closer to Jerusalem. The persecution is heating up. I mean, it's not so easy to follow Jesus. I mean, they're going to come to the place where they are scattered when he's arrested, right? They're going to come to the place where after his resurrection, they're going to go out and they proclaim his name. They're all going to be persecuted, all of them, all of them, except for John is going to die for their faith, and John's going to be persecuted severely during his time of serving Jesus. All these guys are saying, all right, Lord, you told this guy if he'd give it all up for you, there'd be rewards and riches in heaven. What about us? We've done this thing. Now, I actually think that's a pretty fair question, even sometimes if maybe it was a little bit selfish, right? Because I think that we need to know really what will there be for us if we follow Jesus. Because, man, there are people that claim to follow Jesus today that there's nothing in their life that proves they're following him. What they mean by that is I prayed a prayer at some point in time. Now I'm trusting in that one 
action, that one prayer to get me to heaven, but I haven't taken one step of obedience. I haven't taken one step of commitment. I haven't made one sacrifice. I haven't been faithful at any level, right? And so they're thinking to themselves, hey, I'm, I'm going to have eternal life, and i got to be honest with you. That's not eternal life. No chance. Sorry. We've got to know, right, that if we follow Jesus and deal with the costs that are associated with following Jesus, that there's rewards for that. And we should know that, and yet some people are still even saying as Christians or so-called Christians, um, it's not worth it to me to follow Jesus. Isn't that right? I mean, this isn't something new in Scripture. Let me read some Scripture because it's all over the place. Matthew 10, 32 through 39 says this, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Isn't that an interesting phrase from our Savior? For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So on the one hand, right, may we never forget that Jesus is God. And that following him means that there isn't anything else anywhere near as important as he is. May we never forget that. I mean, you and I can never forget that. That he's God. That following him is the priority of our life, not our wives, not our husbands, not our children, not our grandchildren, not our possessions, not our comfort. Him. May we never forget that he demands to be the center, the focus, the point of worship in our lives. Nothing else is to be more important than us. But on the other hand, may we never forget that following him brings incredible blessings. I mean, may we never forget that because if we forget that then, or we're convinced that it's not going to happen, then truth be told is we're really not going to follow him. And man, it's, it's so clear in Scripture. It's so clear in Scripture that oftentimes when persecution comes or trials come or sickness or loss People turn away from Christ. Matter of fact, it's too clear in Scripture that it talks about those who persevere and those that endure and those that overcome. To them will God give the eternal blessings, right? So we're not talking about this easy kind of walk. We're not really talking about what most Americans want from Christ. What most Americans want from Christ is to make their lives completely devoid of any kind of trial completely devoid of hardships, completely devoid of heartache. And quite honestly, many Americans say to you, if you can't give me a God that's going to make my life completely easy, 
I don't want your God. It's true. Well, fair enough. You're not going to get him. You're not going to get him. He's our Savior. He saves our soul. He forgives us of our sins. He secures us in him. He gives us eternal life. He gives us blessings beyond that. But, but sometimes it's good to ask, what will there be for us? What will there be for us? Well, I love Jesus' answer. It's, it's actually fairly profound. In verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon, or sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. Now, that is a mouthful of Scripture, just so you know. I probably won't satisfy all the questions you might have this morning, just so you know. But we will address it, all right? And I, and I love what he says because he kind of re- reiterates what he has told the rich young man before, right? Jesus said, truly I say to you that, though, that you who have followed me. So when he begins talking about the, the blessings, the rewards, the riches that we will have in Christ Jesus, he reiterates the fact that it's only those who follow him, right? It's so important for us to figure that out. This cheap kind of faith that says, you know, I want Jesus, but I don't want sacrifice. I want Jesus, but I don't want commitment. I want Jesus, but I want the world. I want Jesus, but, but, but. Guys, that is not salvation. It's not. I mean, Jesus, or or, or 2 Corinthians, let me get this right, 517, right? If any man is in Christ, He's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've been given a new mind. We've been given a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given a new Lord. Right after we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we then want to and will follow him. Will we be perfect at it? No. No. Praise God We don't have to be perfect at it or we would all fail. But, you know, it has to be still this long-term, general, overcoming, walking with Jesus, proof that Christ has changed our lives. That's what we want to see. Every now and then somebody will come to me and they'll go, you know, I'm, I'm I'm really just struggling. You know, have I, have I really been saved? And I, I never discourage people from coming to talk about that stuff uh, because I do believe that there are people that say they're saved and they're not. I mean, even Jesus said, right, uh, depart from me, you doers of iniquity, right? And they say, well, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? I'd say those people are probably going to look a lot like believers to some degree, right? But Jesus is saying, no. Depart from me, you doers of iniquity. I never knew you. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? These people apparently, man, they had outward works, but they had never trusted Christ. And they weren't really following Christ. They were doing whatever they were doing for their glory. And so I believe there's times where people ought to say, man, do you know? I mean, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know if I'm saved? Well, there really isn't an easy way of knowing 
And, and usually I'm going to share this with them, but there'll be more. I mean, one of the easy ways of knowing that you're saved is the Holy Spirit's in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you know he's in you. He speaks to you, convicts you of your sins. He comforts you. He gives you strength. I mean, even as a child, as a parent to me, and when I trusted Christ, that something happened to me. It was apparent to me. It was very clear to me. I mean, I, when I talk to people and there's never been a change in their life, I'm like, what are you talking about then? You know when there's a change in your life. But they'll say, well, I, I feel like God is in me, but I just don't, don't feel like I'm doing anything. I don't feel like I'm growing. And of course, there's lots of things to say, but I'll say to them a lot of times, well, then you need to look at your life long term. Don't look at your life right now in these last six months or these last couple of months and the struggles that you've had or the circumstances, but look at your life long term. Have you walked with Jesus? Have you grown in Christ? Have you known his presence? Have you stepped out by faith? Have you seen the growth that comes with walking with Jesus? If you have, then notice the growth, right? I mean, sometimes we just go, man, I'm in a time where I'm struggling and I, I don't really know why I'm struggling. I'm hurting. But the truth of the matter is, is that following Jesus is going to produce fruit in your life and you're not going to be who you used to be and you're going to grow and you're going to get rid of some things, right? You're going to overcome some things. You're going to step out by faith and you're going to see Christ in your life. And honestly, there's going to be peace that grows in your life. I mean, there's going to be strength that grows in your life. I mean, there's going to be a, a satisfaction in your life that's not based on the circumstances around you. I mean, Christ is a life changer. We are not to think that life after salvation is going to be the same as life before salvation. It's not true. Jesus says, man, those of you that follow me, those of you that follow me, there's going to be results and there's going to be riches and there's going to be rewards that are going to come to you because you have believed in me and now you follow me. The rich young ruler said, no, I'm not going to follow you because I won't give up the world. I won't give up my possessions. And he did not receive these riches. But the disciples said, we have. And Jesus says, okay, then those who follow me, please hear my heart in this. I mean, Man, there's been so much terrible teaching and preaching in our world today, not just in the U.S., all over the world, that says, man, do one thing, join a church, get baptized, I don't know what it is, and you're going to have eternal life. That's not true. You must be transformed. You must be made new. You don't ever believe that's not true. Scripture teaches it cover to cover. All right? So Jesus says, man, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. <clears throat> this is where things get a little bit interesting, right? So <clears throat> first of all, he says, if you follow me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, that one's not that hard. The regeneration is talking at the end of times, right? When Christ is going to put under his feet 
all sin, all rebellion, all the things that we live in today at the regeneration when he makes things new, when he reigns on his glorious throne. I happen to believe we're talking about the millennial period, the thousand year reign when Christ returns with the saints and reigns in Jerusalem. I don't have time to go through all of that yet, but that's That's what I believe, but that's not the point of this passage, right? He's talking about when he actually sits on his throne and receives all the glory that is due him and has always been due him. He's reigning over this world. When that happens, he says one of the first rewards is that you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That then gets to be a little bit, I don't know, deep. A little bit confusing, maybe. A uh, matter of fact, if you study that out, there's, there's really a couple of ways that people look at this. The first way is just to take it like it's written to say that these 12 apostles will be given 12 thrones and that they will, with Christ, judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that wouldn't be so surprising. These were men given specific roles in the kingdom of God. I mean, these guys are important men only in what they were called to. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2.19 says to, about these guys, so then you're no longer strangers and alien, aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's kind of an interesting passage, right? These were specific men with specific gifts, and would it be surprising if God gave them a this incredible role at the regeneration, it would not be surprising. So if that's the case, these apostles are going to reign with Christ at whatever level that means. They're going to be a part of judging Israel in whatever that means. It's going to be an incredible blessing to be part of the kingdom, be part of God's work. I mean, there's some extraordinary things that are are truly beyond my complete comprehension on this thing, right? But don't you think for a second that to be a part of God's kingdom, to be a part of what Christ Jesus himself is going to do isn't an incredible blessing. Think about it now. To be identified with Christ to such degree that you would actually reign to some level with him and be a part of what he does, would that be incredible? Please don't miss this either. Some of us are like, well, you know, I don't really know what that means, so it's not that big a deal. Listen, the big deal is Christ. The big deal is being with him. The big deal is being identified with him. The big deal is just being with him. All right? So then, here's the other part, though. There are some scholars that believe that when Peter's talking about the apostles, he's representing not just the apostles, but all believers, And they believe that this mention of Israel represents all the lost world, right? The reason they believe that, one of the verses is found in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, and it says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? So to some degree, we know that the Bible says that we as believers are going to judge the world. Isn't that crazy? And so what that simply means is that if that's true, then all of us, and it's going to be true, 
are going to be a part of what God's doing as well, what Christ does well as well in judgment. Do I fully understand what that means? I don't. I won't lie to you that I understand what that means. But I believe the Bible's true. And so whether I understand it fully or not, the whole truth of the matter is, is that even all believers are going to be a part of what Christ does when he comes into his kingdom in the fullness, right? Into the regeneration. So if that's true, then one of the rewards for us is to be a part of what Christ is doing. Again, notice the difference. The rich young ruler gets none of this. The rich young ruler left there grieving because he had chosen the world and not Christ. He had chosen the world and not eternal life. He's no longer identified with Jesus Christ. He only has the expectation of judgment. That's incredibly different than what he's telling these guys. I don't know which one it is. I can go with both of these because they're both in there. Is it the 12 judging the 12 tribes? Is it believers judging the world? Yes, yes. But the whole point of this is Jesus is saying, you want to know what's in it for you? What's in it for you is to be with me. What's in it for you is to be with my kingdom. What's in it for you is to be a part of what I'm doing. What's in it for you is to overcome. What's in it for you, right, is me. We can't minimize that. I mean, so many of us, we, we don't think about spiritual things. We don't think about identifying with Christ. We don't think about life with him afterwards. We don't think about what those things look like. All we can think about is what's God got for me today, and why isn't he doing this, and why isn't he doing that, or why does he do, do this, or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is to have Christ Jesus in our life changes everything Forever and ever and ever and ever. And one of these days we will reign with him. Matter of fact, I love Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. It says, he who overcomes, there's that overcome thing again. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's what he's talking about. We're going to be with him. He sat down with his father on his throne and was given authority at some level. We're going to join into that. Hallelujah. Because, man, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's a rough path sometimes to be a Christian today, isn't it? And honestly, we got it easy compared to a lot of people around this world. But there's some cost to us, and we wonder if it's worth it. Well, it's going to be worth it. Maybe we struggle now. Maybe we suffer now. Maybe we give up a lot now. But there's coming a day where we're going to sit with him on his throne and watch him finish up this world in that millennial period, put everything down, and one of these days make a new heaven, a new earth, where the new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven and where we're going to dwell with him. And there's not going to be a sun and a moon because there won't be any need for light because God the Father and the Lamb will be the light. And there won't be any sickness and there won't be any suffering and there won't be any death. It'll just be Him. Right? I don't know how to put all this together in a neat little package for you or for me for that matter, but I know what the Scripture says. Because of Christ... I have life with him. I'd say that's a pretty good reward, wouldn't you? Amen.
Well, he's not finished though. Because in verse 29, he says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now this verse is maybe a little more personal because now he kind of lays out the things that we leave behind sometimes to follow him, right? I mean, sometimes we leave behind our houses. It's okay. It'd be a hard one for most of us. Get pretty attached to them. They're kind of nice to have, place to live. Be safe, be warm, be cool. But sometimes he calls us to leave them behind. Then it gets even more personal, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms, your way of life, your family. And we know that's true also as well, right? Because there's been many of us that have chosen Christ and our families have rejected him. And if we live for Christ, the more we live for him, the more they reject us. And all of a sudden, instead of having this sweet little family relationship that we once had, now there is separation and even heartache at times and even persecution from our families. You know, I haven't had it at an extremely deep level, but my lost family really... (laughs) They don't get me at much level. Some years ago, I was asked to go do a wedding for one of my cousins, which is a great chance for me to witness to my lost family. I did this wedding, and I shared the gospel, and, you know, just really, by the grace of God, you know, had a chance to minister to them. And I remember afterwards, we were standing at the reception. I'm just kind of standing there, and I look over one of my cousins, who's six or seven years older than me, was just kind of staring at me. I said, what? He just goes, what happened to you? That's that's exactly what happened to you. I said, what are you talking about? My family's pretty rough. So, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, how did you become a pastor? (laughs) Well, why don't you let me tell you, Doug, right? He didn't get it then. He still doesn't understand it today. But he understood something happened to me. I wasn't the same guy anymore. Praise God, right? I understand from the level that I have a sister still lost. Right? The man that she'd lived with for 38 years died about a year and a half ago unexpectedly in his sleep. And so I've tried to witness and reach out and minister to my sister and she does not want me. And she does not want my God. And she will not. She won't even she won't even return my call. Sometimes you have to leave. You have to leave. Because of Christ. It's not necessarily what we want. But it is the consequence of following Jesus. And while we want something different, we pray for something different, he says, listen. I'm here to tell you that the cost is worth it. Because no matter who's left all those things behind, no matter what the cost is of following me, even farms that would have been their way of life, 
if they left their farms to follow Jesus, they weren't growing crops. They weren't producing fruit. They were depending on God. We all know how hard that can be, right? He says, you will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. What in the world does it mean you will receive many times as much? Well, this whole passage has specifically been about spiritual blessings, and I believe that those are the blessings we, we want the most, for sure. Are we going to be sorry that we follow Jesus? The answer is never, never, never. I mean, even if we have to suffer every single day of this life because we chose to follow Jesus, the blessings are going to far, far, far outweigh whatever suffering we go through on this earth. But if we turn over to Mark, and you don't have to turn over there, I'll read it to you. Chapter 10, this is Mark writing about this situation. Verses 29 through 30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children of farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That gives us a little bit better insight into this thing, right? Mark actually says, if you follow Jesus and you give up all these things to follow him, for, my, for Jesus says, for my sake, for the gospel's sake, you'll receive those things many, many, many times more now. How in the world do you fi- find more mothers and fathers, more sisters and brothers, more sons and daughters, more farms? How do you find more today? Well, look around. Look around. And look around. Physically turn and look at the family next to you and the family next to them. The family next to them. Look around. Man, the church, right, is the body of Christ. When we are born again in the body of Christ, then we are a new people. I mean, we are a people for God's own possession. We are people that then are united through Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then we walk together and we love one another and we give to one another and we teach one another and we learn from one another. Do you think that's not true? I know we're Americans and our independence is just blazing from us. We don't need anybody else. We don't want anybody else. We don't have to depend on anybody else. But when it comes to Christ and we try to walk through this world at deep costs and great sacrifice, we better figure out we have others in our life and we need them. Man, Acts chapter 2, right? Right after the day of Pentecost, says in verses 44 through 47, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continually with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why was that so important for them? Because they'd given up everything to follow Jesus. 
And now what they had was Christ and those who had given up everything with them. And so they are taking care of one another like mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and sons and daughters. That's what we do. And man, I got to tell you, Aaron talked about some blessings about going overseas and and he's talking about Zambia and I was just looking at James because I was thinking James knows so much more about this stuff than we do. But I'll never remember, I'll never forget, right? I've, I've just never forgotten so many things. Then when we got to Zambia the first time, James was there. And we became family. Mostly because James would drip paint on me kind of regularly. They're like, James, are you painting me again? Do you remember that, James? He kept dry- I'm like, James. Anyway, so we kind of built this <laughs> little bond through painting mishaps, you know? Um, but man, there's so many other things. I remember I'd been in Congo and I'd been with the team from, uh, Chande and a woman named Dinas. We'd gotten to know over the years and been in a particularly difficult time in Congo and I was just exhausted. And we got back into Zambia and communications weren't right and we didn't have a ride home. And so we just stood there in this border town that is, uh, interesting little town, somewhat dangerous little town, but I probably stood for another eight or nine hours just waiting. And we finally, you know, got picked up late at night and we got back to where we were staying early in the morning and I was just exhausted. And I'm walking in and I feel this hand take me by my hand. I look over and this woman named Dinas and she goes, Pastor, are you okay? And I said, just tired, Dinas. And she just held my hand. As we walked in, because she and I are family. She and I are family. I got an email this week from George and Lubumbashi, Congo, our lead pastor, and he's just sharing what they're doing. And it's always sweet to hear from George. And he shows me a picture of this, this guy who was a general in the Congolese army. But somehow George knows. He knows people I can't even, I don't know how he knows them. He says, this is a brother. We've gotten to know him. He's the general in charge of this whole region now. And he has said, when is Pastor Mike coming back? George said, I don't know. I don't have the program for when he's coming back. He said, you tell him when he comes, I'll take care of him. I'll keep him safe. So tell him to come. Do we have fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers, sons and daughters, George's son, I think he's probably eight now. His name is Michael Lee Cooper. That's his name. Because one trip we were there, George was dying, and he asked us to pray for him. And I prayed for him just as sincere as I could be. God, save my brother. Be gracious to his family. Lord, raise him up. And God did. He healed him. His wife was pregnant, so we named him Michael E. Cooper. And so when he writes me, he says, your son, Mike, says, when are we coming? He wants to see you. Because do you think it's a joke for God to say we'll receive many times more in this life and in the life to come the blessings that we give up? There's no joking to it. It's powerful. 
It's powerful. It's profound. It might be one of the weaknesses of the American church that we don't see each other that way. And that we won't treat each other that way. And maybe we should grow in that. But that does not change the truth of it all. Because man, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we've left it all to follow him, we may suffer that persecution, those trials. Sometimes, whatever cost it might be, we may suffer it, but we've been given so very much more. But he doesn't finish with just that, does he? He says, and will inherit eternal life. And don't miss, I'm not longing for some of these earthly things nearly as much as I'm longing for the day that God sets me free from this flesh. I'm longing for that day. When I no longer fall short, when I no longer end up lacking, when I no longer have to say to the Lord, I'm sorry for my selfishness or my pride. When I can stand in front of him face to face and my relationship with him is right. See, that's what eternal life is. Right? John 17, 3, one of my favorite verses. It said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The rich young ruler walked away from a relationship with the living God because he wouldn't give up garbage. He wouldn't give up garbage. Stuff that won't last. Stuff that doesn't matter. Stuff that only matters to us when we can't look past ourself and our comfort and our desires and our preferences. He wouldn't give up garbage so he could have eternal life. And he walked away grieving, grieved. But as he'd come to Christ to receive eternal life, and he'd rejected it. And Jesus says to Peter and the apostles and to us, those of you that have followed me, you will receive blessings on earth and eternal life. This continual relationship with God. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe that relationship other than to know that it has radically changed me. Man, I still struggle with a few things, but I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not afraid. When I do get afraid, all I have to go back to is that my Savior promised he would never leave me. He promised he would never forsake me. He knows the hairs of my head. He knows the words I'm going to speak before I speak them. He knows the days of my life. And it's appointed once on demand to die and then the judgment. He knows where I'm going to die. And when I die, he tells me, I'll return again and receive it to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's not going to leave me. Why would I be afraid? Eternal life. Man, those strive for all the things in this world in rejection of the glories of Jesus Christ. Jesus finishes this passage by saying, and the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. 
those are the ones that think they're first. They think they're first. I'm getting ahead. Man, I bought this house, put a little bit of work into it, sold it, bought a bigger house. Put a little bit of work into it, sold it, bought a bigger house. Now I got this great big house. Look at it. It's impressive. It's so impressive when people pull up to my house, they think, oh, this guy has arrived. He's arrived. They see how successful I am. A house is going to fall down and rot. Maybe not while you're in it, but one of these days, it's not going to last. But those that give up a lot, those that follow Christ, that forsake the world, forsake the things of this world, they're going to be first. They're going to sit on the throne with Christ Jesus. And I promise you that everything in heaven is nicer than anything you have now. When the streets in heaven are paved with gold, the payment, or the pavement, excuse me, is better than what you have. Listen to this, and I'll close. First John 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Can I say that again? If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Listen, Jesus has been very clear through this passage that in order to have eternal life, you have to repent of your sins, turn away from the things that you value, and follow him. If you love the world, love the things in the world, more than you love Jesus, there's no life in you. But those who follow him, those who believe in him, those who make him Lord, they have eternal life. You can't have both. You can't have both. So, have you turned to Christ? Have you turned to the one that can give you eternal life? If you turned to him and said, you died for me, you rose again, no one loves me like you, I'm following. I don't care what it, I don't care what it takes, I'm following. Have you done that? Because if you haven't, you can do that today. Lord Jesus, I need you. I love you. I'm amazed by you. I'm going to follow you. If you do, you'll have life. Some of us here as Christians, we need to re-up on that. Right? Sometimes the world just likes to get us by the neck. Begin to choke us out. The cares of the world choke us out. Pretty soon, we're so inundated with the world that we are no longer infatuated with Christ. 
We need to repent, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the call. Yes, Lord, you are the breaking point. You are the difference. Those who come to you by faith and follow you because they're born again have life. Those who look at you and reject you and reject following you do not have life. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for many, for any, Lord God, who would look to you, confess their sins, turn from them and believe in you and follow you. Help us, Lord, be thankful for you worship you and give you all that we have. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors are down front. We'd love to pray with you. If you want to come down front and say, I want to be saved today, we can help you. Let us do that. I mean, if you want to come down front and repent and pray, you want to pray with us or by yourself, do that. Let's respond to Christ today. Mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend The agonies of Calvary You the perfect Holy One Crushed your Son Who drank the bitter cup reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, Sacrifice I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness, your knowing. Your blood. Washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once you're in me, now seated at your table, Jesus, Jesus, we are so thankful that you would look on us with grace and compassion and mercy and love. And though we were once enemies, Lord Jesus, of yours, 
because of our rebellion and sin, you have washed our sins away in Christ and seated us at your table. You walk with us day by day, guide us through this world, and we give you praise. Lord God, I pray for those that are still struggling. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they just trust you, that they just pour it out before you and go, yes, I believe and I want to follow you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I pray you'll radically transform their lives. Lord, bless us as we travel home. Keep us safe, Lord, on these slick roads. And we just pray you'll continue to use us in our community to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.